Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 17 on how Abraham surrendered his understanding based on his nature and instead trusted in the I will promises of God. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org or download these messages as well for free on iTunes by searching for the Friendship with God podcast. Now, we appreciate your listener support, but we also need your financial support as you, the listener, helps to support this Bible teaching, Old Testament teaching radio program with Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program. So to encourage you to support this radio program, and Jewish Evangelism Outreach Ministry, we're offering Tom Cantor's DVD series, Genesis, the Book of Beginnings. You can get the video teaching series on this. We've got four DVD packs. Now, within each DVD pack or each series, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, Genesis 4, each one has four DVDs with three video messages and teachings on it from Tom Cantor. So you've got four discs in each series. You've got 12 messages in each one, 48 messages in total, and 16 DVDs. We're offering this for your support to the Friendship with God radio program. For $80 or more of support this month, we'll send you all four of these DVD teaching series from the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. We'll send this to you for your support of $80 or more to the Friendship with God radio program. So again, this Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, Genesis 4 DVD teaching series, 16 DVDs, and 48 messages, all yours, for $80 or more donation to the Friendship with God radio program. You can call us now or after the program at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. And again, your donation continues to help keep this radio program on this station in your city. 800 247 3051 and get this Genesis Book of Beginnings teaching. You can also go to friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can go to our online bookstore and there you can purchase this for $80, the Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, Genesis 4 DVD teaching on the Book of Beginnings from Tom Cantor. Again, 16 DVDs video teaching from Tom Cantor on the Old Testament. So again, go to friendshipwithgod.org or 1-800-247- 3051. Now here's Tom Cantor continuing our study and teaching from Genesis chapter 17 on the Abraham covenant of circumcision, and we'll also study the I will promises of God towards Abraham in keeping that covenant. A Jewish person can be circumcised outwardly and not have this inward circumcision of the heart. And a Jew, his obvious father was, you know, showing them that he was a Jew by circumcision, but a Jew is not one who is circumcised outwardly, Paul says, because a Jew is a Jew who is inwardly a Jew. See, a a Jew, as we've said before, Jew comes from the word Judah, meaning praise. So it's a person who is really praising God. That's a real Jew. And of course, Judah, being one of the 12 tribes, was the important one because that was the tribe through which the Messiah came. So to be named a Jew was to be one who was looking forward to and all about the Messiah. And so a Jew is a person who's occupied with the Messiah. The word Christ means Messiah. So a Christian is a person who's occupied with the Messiah. So in this sense, a true Jew, a true Christian, it's the same. Because they're occupied with the same person, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul says that a true Jew is not one outwardly, it's one inwardly. It's like baptism. Baptism is a symbol of death. 
a death to self, and it's a death by being crucified with Christ. It's an identification with Christ. And baptism is really seen in Galatians 2.20, where it says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. So, when a person is standing there in the water to be baptized, and he is a picture or a symbol in the baptism of Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, down into the water he goes. Nevertheless, I live, up from the water he comes. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. See, it's an outward sign. It's an oath. It's a token. But if a person has not really died to self, has not really identified with the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, then if a person has been, is not, then baptism for him, it's not a sign of any inward change because there's no inward change. A person, that person just goes into the water a dry sinner and comes out of the water a wet sinner. Baptism changes nothing because baptism is an oath. Baptism is a token, it's a sign of an inward change. And like baptism, like circumcision, it it is showing something that's happening inside. Circumcision is really for the parents because it's a a symbol as the parents. Just like dedicating a baby, it's really for the parents. Now, in verse 12, it says that the day of circumcision was given by God. As it says here, this is the first time it's mentioned, and it says that the circumcision was to occur on the eighth day of life. That's not commonly done in the U.S. Normally, babies are, are circumcised before they leave the hospital, so almost very soon after they're born. Now, it's interesting because coagulation in a baby is at, at birth is very weak. It's a very weak state of coagulation when a baby is born. I mean, the, the baby's blood is circulating uh, through this system and going through this massive placenta that is 100 square feet if you were to smooth it all out because it has so many folds in it. It's actually one cell. It's a, it's a miracle of the placenta. But the blood is circulating in this placenta. It's coming back and the blood is circulating in the mother and, it's, and they come into the interface there at the placenta. And it's just a marvelous creation. But the point is, is that during all this movement of blood and going out of the body through the umbilical cord into the placenta and then returning to the body, it's very important that there should be no clots. And there are opportunities for clots because that blood is circulating through all sorts of folds, not the alveoli and the lungs, because those aren't functioning yet, but through, the, through these folds in the placenta. And so it's possible the blood could clot, so the blood shouldn't clot, so the blood coagulation is very, coagulation is very weak in a baby. Babies have potentially a danger of bleeding. That's why in Italy and in Mexico, by law, every baby that is born must be injected with 50 milligrams of vitamin K to aid the coagulation. Vitamin K is, it aids coagulation. It, it uh, promotes coagulation. But here in the U.S., we don't inject babies with, in the U.S. with vitamin K. But from the time of birth, the coagulation activity coming from factor eight and, and, and the, uh, the coagulation activity as measured by the PTT time and so forth, the clotting time, it begins to rise from the time of birth. It is a very low coagulation, clotting, and then it gets up and then it, it peaks. And you know what the amazing thing is? Is that the coagulation ability measured by the PTT, it peaks at eight days and it just continues at that high level throughout the rest of their life. That's amazing. How did God know that? <laughs> because he's God. <laughs> How did Moses know that? He didn't. God told him. 
And so that's why, this is, that's one of the reasons why God says, you wait until the eighth day, and on the eighth day you circumcise the baby, then it's going to clot. Now in verses 13 through 14, God explains how willingness to circumcise was a sign of willingness to keep God's covenant or to be obedient to God. And we see in the last words of verse 11 some very important words. We've already focused in verse 11 on the word ot or token, and now it says, and it shall be a token of the covenant, and now these words, betwixt me and you. Those last words, the covenant betwixt me and you, are very important words because they emphasize just how personal the covenant is. This is a personal covenant betwixt me and you. It's made between one individual, Abraham, and God. This is not a covenant for a group of people. And God's covenants are not a covenant like that. This is not a covenant for every person who happens to be born Jewish. But it is a covenant for individuals where each individual stands before God as an individual. It's just like the cross. Each individual stands at the foot of the cross. And at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. It's level. At the foot of the cross, there is no such thing as rich and poor, as Jew and Gentile, as male and female, as bond and slave and so forth. Everybody is level to the same level of being a desperate sinner in need of the Lord Jesus Christ as a Savior. That's the foot of the cross. And every individual stands there. And every individual stands there alone. And every individual standing there alone at the foot of the cross is equal. And every individual has been leveled by sin. And all the distinctions just have no matter at all because it's all about have mercy on me, a lost sinner. That's the prayer of every individual standing alone at the foot of the cross with him with whom they have to do, the Lord Jesus Christ, the great creator, the great judge. And all these words that we're reading in here, these words like betwixt me and you, indicate that every individual has to make his own peace with God And it's not done automatically, and no one else can do it for another person, because at the foot of the cross, every individual has to do business with God alone. And every individual must individually receive the Lord Jesus Christ as his own personal Savior. This is all encompassed in this verse in John 1.12. But as many, as many what? As many individuals, as many persons, But as many as received him, to them, to who? To the individuals, to the persons. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now the words in verse 11, the covenant betwixt me and you, they teach us that there's no such thing as being born Jewish and so automatically given by birthright a ticket to heaven. No, no. There's no such thing as automatically being born with a ticket to heaven. Each person, whether they're Jew, whether they're Gentile, they've all been created by the Lord Jesus Christ as Messiah. Whether they're Jew or Gentile, he has to make his own decision. He will receive or he will reject the Lord Jesus Christ as his own personal Lord and Savior. 
And he's going to heaven or he's not going to heaven based on that one single vital transaction to receive or to reject the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verses 12 through 13, there's a reference to the person who is not born Jewish. But this is a person who is referred to as the stranger, the stranger, the the, the person not part of the Jewish people. And that person, God said, that person is to be circumcised. There is to be no separation between Jew and Gentile. They're all to be one in God's covenant, all to be one in Christ, just like it says in Ephesians 2, 13 through 14. But now... In Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Now, we're at this chapter 17. It's a great chapter. We stand back. We look at the chapter. And there's two words. Two words that keep occurring over and over and over again. You can't miss them. Genesis 17, 2. And I will make my covenant between between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. In other words, I will multiply thee exceedingly. Verse 6. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. Verse 7, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. Verse 8, and I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger. And then at the end of that verse, and I will be their God. Verse 16, and I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her. And she shall be a mother of nations. Verse 19, and God said, Sarah, God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son, etc. And then he said, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant with a seed after him. Verse 20, and as for Ishmael, I've heard thee, behold, I have blessed him and will, in other words, I will make them fruitful and will multiply them exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget. And I will make him a great nation. There's just one instance after another. It just keeps going over and over again of God saying, I will, I will, I will, I will. And for most of these instances, God is saying to Abraham, I will regarding having a son and an inheritance. And we can just picture Abraham really getting into the, getting into it and getting into the joy of receiving all that God is giving to him. Because each time Abraham hears, I will, we can, we can picture Abraham just like a little kid. He's smiling and he's saying, that's great. That's tremendous. I didn't deserve that. That one's over the top. As a matter of fact, we can picture Abraham just like a little kid sitting in front of a Christmas tree opening presents and he's opening one after the other. He goes this one, then he goes on to the next one. You know, my wife loves that picture of kids opening one present after the other. My wife gets so excited about seeing our grandkids open presents that, she, that we have a closet in our house that she keeps, you know, shut for the kids not to see. And throughout the year, she's buying Christmas presents and puts them in the closet. And she starts right after Christmas. She's buying these Christmas presents one year before. 
and she's buying one present after the other. Some of those presents, some of those presents, I know that some of those presents have been there for two or three years. We got to start expiration dating them pretty soon. Why? Because she loves the scene. She loves to see them open one present after another. And with each new I will, God spoke to Abraham. We can see Abraham with the delight of a kid that's just opened a new present. Oh, and then God says to him, I will. And he's delighted again. But with all those I wills, Abraham knew those were promises. Those were all promises because Abraham could not be happy unless he really believed that God was going to fulfill those promises. And all those I wills only meant a lot to Abraham if he knew that those wills would one day be turned into realities. In fact, Paul describes this scene of these gifts from God to Abraham with a very interesting phrase in Galatians 3.18, the end of the verse, Galatians 3.18, where it says very simply, God gave it to Abraham by promise. See, that's the word, by promise. And if you were to ask Abraham, Abraham, Have you really got what God gave you in Genesis chapter 17 we've been studying? Abraham would say, I do. And if we said, but Abraham, how can you say that you have what God gave you? You can't see the son that he's promised you. You can't see the inheritance. I can't see the son. I can't see the inheritance. How can you say you have them? And Abraham would soundly reply to us, I have them by promise. I received them by promise. God gave them to me by promise. And if we'd asked Abraham that question, we can just picture Abraham walking away and repeating those two words. Yeah, that's right. By promise, by promise, by promise. I've got it all by promise. I have the son, by promise. I have the inheritance, by promise. I received the son and the inheritance, by promise. God gave me the son and the inheritance, by promise. And saying those two words, by promise, by by Abraham, keep on saying that word, by promise, Abraham now becomes a picture for you and me of Father Abraham, our father. A father that we are to emulate. A father that we are to follow. A father that we are to copy. A father walking away saying by promise that we are to copy. A father that's walking away saying by promise that we are to follow in the same way. And get into it with him, with this whole concept of by promise. Because as Abraham walks away saying, by promise, you and I see that picture and we say, we're, we're children of Abraham. We're going to follow, copy what he did. And, we're gonna, and I say with Abraham, by promise. I have received, we say, I have received the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And according to John 1.12, I have been given the authority to become a child of God. I have become a child of God by promise. I am a child of God by promise. I believe into the Lord Jesus Christ. And based on John 3.16, I will not perish, but I have eternal life. I will not perish by promise. I have eternal life by promise. I believe into the Lord Jesus Christ. And based on John eleven twenty five, when my body dies, I will live. I have life after death by promise. 
I have heard the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I believe into the Father who sent him. And based on John 5, 24, I will not come into condemnation for my sins, but I have been passed from death to life. I will escape condemnation by promise. I will be passed from death to life by promise. I believe into the Lord Jesus Christ. And based on John 14, 1 through 3, I have a place in heaven. If that place has been prepared for me, that place I am going there when I die, I have my place in heaven by promise. I have my passage to that place in heaven by promise. See, that's why those two words in Galatians 3.18 are so important for us to see in the context of Genesis 17. God gave it to Abraham by promise, Galatians 3.18. That's why that first statement in verse 1 of our chapter, Genesis 17, is so important. As it says, and when Abram was 90 years old and nine... That statement emphasizes how these promises of a son and of an inheritance could not be secured by Abraham by nature. They were out of Abraham's reach, his natural reach. There was no way that Abraham could think of reaching, naturally speaking, of reaching to have a son or reaching to have an inheritance by natural means. In fact, there's one word in one verse in this chapter that emphasizes how far from Abraham's natural reach the getting of a son really was. And it's in verse 17, where we read, Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a man be born unto him that is 90 years old? Shall Sarah that is 90 years old bear? The word laugh. It expresses when Abraham thinks of how far God's promise of Abraham to get a son is from Abraham's natural reach, he has one response. He laughs. He laughs. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, what is Abraham doing here when it says that in response to God's promise of a son, he laughs It's just shocking for us. We see Abraham laughing at God. This was shameful on Abraham. If you don't think this is shameful, just wait, because we're going to come to where Sarah's going to do exactly the same thing. And this is not a laughter of joy. This is a laughter of, you got to be kidding. And if you don't think so, just wait, because we're going to come to the exact similar situation that's going to happen, and Sarah's going to laugh in her heart also, and God's going to turn to Sarah and say, you laughed, and Sarah's going, no, no, I didn't laugh, I didn't laugh, not me, I didn't laugh. No, you don't do that if it's a laughter of joy. You do that because you don't think so. And what is Abraham doing here when it says that in response to God's promise of his son, he says in his heart, shall a man be born unto him that is 100 years old, and shall Sarah that is 90 years old bear? It's shocking for us. When we look and we see Abraham is mocking God, Abraham's laughter shows us that Abraham's son could only be secured by promise. And that's why Paul said in Galatians 3.18, God gave it to Abraham by promise. And that was a picture of the promise of the Son of God given to the world out of natural reach. Say, not in thine heart, I'm going to bring God down from heaven or bring him up. You can't do that. That historically, we stand today 
on the spectrum, on the line of history, the history line. We are at a point on the history line. And we stand on the line of history on this side of the defining moment in history 2,000 years ago. We stand on this side of the two, we stand on this side of the 2,000 year side of the manger in Bethlehem, the defining moment in history. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. This is a wonderful, unique program that's on radio today, and it's made available by you, the listener, and your support towards the Friendship with God radio program. Now, if you'd like to support this Bible teaching, Old Testament teaching, radio program, you can donate and support this program by going to friendshipwithgod.org and donating online, friendshipwithgod.org. Now, while you're there, there's plenty of free resources that are available for free listening, free download, friendshipwithgod.org. Please donate online and also plenty of free resources there for you to study and get a deeper friendship with God. Now, you can also call us at 800 247 3051. Again, that's 1 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. You can call us. We can uh, take your one time donation or a monthly donation. 800 247 3051. Or again, you can go to friendshipwithgod.org and donate online to support this radio program and also support Jewish evangelism ministry through Israel Restoration Ministries. So we'd love your monthly support or again, your one-time donation. You can also go to friendshipwithgod.org, as I mentioned earlier, for free resources, but also you can send a free gift to a lost Jewish person that you know. Someone who's Jewish but unsaved needs to hear the gospel. Tom Cantor's got his story on DVD and in a booklet form that's available for you to be able to give to a lost Jewish person through Israel Restoration Ministries for free. We'll send that to him. And by you supporting this radio program, you help support the gospel going to the Jew first. So go to friendshipwithgod.org, fill out the online form to send a free gift and to donate and support us online, or call us at 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening and join us tomorrow.